At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Insight Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. Through interviews and case studies, I examine how transformational insights have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthrough moments, they teach us valuable lessons, lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Andrew Wilhelm, a results-driven leader and strategist with a lifelong passion for people development at all levels. Currently, he's the Senior Director of Talent Management at Twilio. I originally met Andrew when we worked together at Tesla. He was the head of global leadership development there. And when I first met him, I instantly loved him. And I think you'll see why as you get to know him on today's show. On this episode, we'll learn what he feels are the three most important characteristics of a leader. We'll also learn what he means when he says everything is connected. He'll also tell an incredible story about a chance encounter he had with Benazir Bhutto. She was the first female prime minister of a Muslim country. This story is incredible and it gave him a new appreciation for what it means to be willing to die for what you believe in. We'll also hear what advice he has for anyone interested in starting a career in talent development. This show is full of insights like these and others. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Andrew Wilhelms on another episode of Inside Out. I am so excited to have Andrew Wilhelms on the show today. Andrew and I first met when he joined Tesla to lead the global leadership development organization. He came with a wealth of experience, and I'll let him share his story in a minute. The thing that I'll say that most impressed me with Andrew from the get-go is not only is he a humble and really down-to-earth type of guy, but he embodies what a leader should be. It's somebody that cares deeply about those that he surrounds himself. It's somebody that will always be willing to ask the hard questions to be able to go the direction that we should be going. And when I think of him, he's the quintessential leader. He really is. And, and, and human beings, we, we all look for somebody 
to follow in a time of need. If we go back thousands and thousands of years and we think about what is a leader? A leader is somebody that's going to guide us to safety. It's somebody that's going to take us a certain direction. And when I think of Andrew, he really embodies leadership. And so I'm thrilled to have him on the show and thrilled to learn about his journey as not only a human being, but also his career journey in talent. And when you look at his background, it all revolves development and helping people get better. And I know it's something that's near and dear to his heart. And so first and foremost, Andrew, welcome to Insight Out. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. For those that don't know you, Andrew, why don't you start and just share your story and background? Ah, where to start? Born on a cold, dark now. I grew up all over the place. I think the first thing to know about me is I moved a lot as a kid. And so change was just a part of of my childhood. I, I don't think I lived anywhere longer than four years before college. And college was Berkeley, and I did a philosophy degree at UC Berkeley. At the time, what I thought I was going to go do was uh, was become a pastor. That was the vision, as I wanted to go and just help people move into that question of what matters in life and how do we live it out. And at some point in college, I realized, nope, that is, uh, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to go work in, inside churches. But that kind of question at the heart of that was still there for me that I want to be a part of people figuring out what matters and moving towards it. What is that? And then I found this thing called leadership, dropped into a couple of leadership roles in college uh, organizations uh, at the church or in the fraternity or, or on campus. Uh, and I realized a couple of things. Number one, this leadership stuff is really important. And number two, this leadership stuff is freaking hard. <laughs> um, but sure enough, like there were books written about it. And then I realized there's a whole industry that helps people. Wait, people can have jobs that help others lead better. That's what I want to go do. And so that was the start of my career. What I knew at the time is I wanted to be in this space of leadership and leadership development. And I just needed to figure out how. Along came a mentor and a friend eventually, but at the time he was, he was a, uh, someone I networked my way to, this man named Phil Harkins, who had founded this company, Linkage Incorporated. And Phil was known for giving young kids a chance to do work in the leadership development industry. They had no means doing. And so he hired me to come into Linkage and I came in in sales. Just uh, picked up the phone, calling people. Do you want to go to this workshop? Do you want to go to this training? Do you want to go to this workshop? Eventually, after some time uh, selling, uh, learning how to just work, Linkage moved me into a, a series of roles, eventually becoming the program director of their Global Institute for Leadership Development, which was unbelievable. This role, I mean, in that role, I basically had a, a million-dollar checkbook to hire the smartest and most accomplished, amazing, thoughtful, uh, inspiring people on this thing called leadership that would serve as a faculty. And then we would go s convince companies and leaders to come spend a week with us at this thing called the, the Institute and hear from this faculty of speakers. And so I'm this mid-20s kid with access to and time with, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev and Warren Bennis was the co-chair and became a friend and a mentor. Michael Porter, like, I mean, you name it. I was steeped in just some of the most amazing thinkers and doers of this thing called leadership on the planet. 
And I could not imagine a better kind of testing ground, growing ground uh, for early in career, at least not for someone that cares about this space and this work. I spent some time with Linkage and then decided it was time to do the MBA and time to get back to California, where my wife and I's families were, were, were mainly stationed. And so chose USC, did my MBA at USC, did some work with Warren Venice, who was a professor there. And then coming out of USC, I took a job with McKesson as the manager of leadership development programs. And I spent nine years with McKesson going through a variety of talent management roles. Uh, So I moved from leadership development into talent assessment, into culture and engagement, into managing performance and succession and the talent review. The insight there was really, oh, it's all connected. When you think about building a healthy organization, when you think about building a, a company that has the ability to manage and invest in its talent, it's all connected. It's not just the programs. It's not just the processes. It's all got to come together. Learned a lot also about just leading change. The idea of what should be is not enough. You have to work through all of the, the people, the players, the infrastructure, the inertia of the company to make what you see, that change you think is worth it possible and to make it ultimately happen. So... Nine years with McKesson, and then Tessa came knocking. Billy talked to you about that. Had the just absolutely humbling opportunity to go in and, and work with Tesla for a bit. And now I am uh, running talent management globally for a really exciting company called Twilio. Wow, what a story. And not least of which is that incredible opportunity you were given at Linkage. I mean, you got to pinch yourself at that point and just say, wow, how did I land this? This is absolutely extraordinary. But what learnings you must have had, and in particular, what insights you clearly have had. Thank you for sharing. I'm, I, I want to dive in a bit deeper on the insight realm, because of course, the nature of this show is, is really all about insights. Those breakthrough moments in life that we have where something clicks, something changes. We have a revelation or a epiphany or an aha moment that just absolutely awakens us and gives us this new, either new sense of direction or it accelerates the direction and path that we're already on. So as you look back in your life and you think about those moments, you shared one already, which is it's all connected, that insight there. So what other insights stand out in your life? Oh, so many. It's hard to choose. Couple stories that come to mind. I, th- I think I'll share two, and they were they were from that linkage time. So I was the program director of this global institute for leadership development, and just these amazing people coming in, and I just happened to get to sit in the room and observe this. One of these, one of the faculty members that we we brought in multiple times. It was the, this leader named Benazir Bhutto. Uh, if you don't know the name, she was the first woman prime minister in a Muslim country. She was the the prime minister in in Pakistan. There was a coup, there was a breakdown in the democracy, and she ended up in exile for 20 years. She taught at Harvard, did just some amazing global leadership work, moving conscientiousness on the planet forward. And and towards the end of that 20 years, uh, she got to know Phil Harkins, the man I mentioned earlier, who was the co-chair of the Global Institute for Leadership Development. And and for four years, Benazir would come in, speak to the conference, speak to the Institute. The fourth and final year she did was 2006. And she came in 
uh, we were sitting down. She, she and Phil were sitting down. I happened to just get to sit in the room in case someone wanted water or something. And she, you know, we, we talk about, here's the audience, here's what we want you to cover, et cetera, et cetera. And, and at, at some point when we got the logistics out of the way, the setup out of the way, she, she turns to Phil and, and they were, I, I would say friendly at this point. She was, she was amazing. Just power. I just never had sat with so much power in a human body before. It was amazing. And she looks at Phil and she says, I'm going back. And it takes Phil a second to figure out what she means. And he's like, wait, she says, I'm going back to Pakistan. I'm going to run. And Pakistan had just announced that they were going to open up once again, democratic elections. And Benazir was saying she was going to go run. And Phil looks at her and and Phil had worked in Iran. He had spent a a good amount of time uh, in some of the complexities in in the Middle East, in the East, throughout the world. He looks at her, he said, Benazir, Prime Minister Buddha, they'll kill you. And she looks him in the eye, Billy, she looks him in the eye and she says, probably. For those of you that don't know the story, she went back and she ran and she was assassinated while running. And I mean, I'd heard of this. I'd heard of people that were willing to die for something they believed in, something they were after, but I'd never seen it. I never looked it in the eyes and heard it say, probably. Just, it hit me so hard in the gut. Like, what do I care about? There were some people I met that had the fame that a, that a guild, that that Global Institute stage warranted. They had the name, but when you meet them, there wasn't necessarily the same substance there. Prime Minister Bhutto was the opposite. Like she was powerful. And I, this was the heart of it, I think. That sense of she found something she was willing it, like to die for. It, it, it was one of the most awesome experiences of my life. Wow. I mean, you had a front row seat into something that was ended up being obviously historical. I'm anxious to hear your other insight and the other story. And boy, do you have a gift for telling stories. I remember that about you from, from our Tesla days. But your point and your insight about believing in something to that degree. Oh, it's a rare thing. And clearly she did have that amount of belief and conviction in, in what she believed in. So what a powerful story and uh, experience for you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I think, I mean, for the, for the sake of the listeners and the purpose of this podcast, I, I, I mean, the insight for me on that one is I don't know if we're allowed to use profanity. Right? Go for it. We're, it's, we're, it's, we're, we it's can, the we give a do shit. We want. <laughs> give a shit. Find something you give a shit about and go for it. Do something about it. Make that change. I, I think we saw this with Elon together. I mean, that sense of fighting for something to the cost to yourself. But then the next question you have to go to, especially early on in your life, is what's that something for me? How do you find it? Or how do you build it? Where, where does that come from? And, and I think that leads to my next story. And, I, I, and I've got too many of these at this point. But, but this next one, I, I think it comes from Warren Bennis. And one of the coachings and the guidance uh, that I saw Warren get. So this was years later. And Warren's spending some time. And he, he used to teach this class at USC for undergrads called The Art and Adventure of Leadership. It was just amazing. He, he brought me in as the assistant lecturer one year. So I got to sit with him while he, while he taught the class and, and help out a little bit. And, and he would sit with the, class, with the students and he'd coach them. And at one point, we're on the topic of, of just this. How do you find your calling? How do you like, find your purpose? Everyone's looking for that Joan of Arc moment of the kind of beam of light from heaven comes down. I see it. 
That's when, and Warren gave these kids some counsel that cut through for me. And I keep going back to it in my career. And he said, it's sometimes it's not about finding the bonfire, being struck by lightning. Very few of us get that clear a calling early in life. He said, like, for the folks that he's worked with, for the people I've seen that have become unbelievable leaders, most of the time, the journey is what I would call a, what I would call following the sparks. Follow the sparks. If you don't have that, a clear bonfire at the heart of who you are and what you want to do on the planet, don't worry. There's in what's in front of you and what you're a part of right now, there's stuff in that that has a little bit more heat, has a little bit more light for you than the stuff around it. That's the spark. Grab that. Get clear on that and then move towards it. Make what you do next a little bit more of that. And then a little bit more of that. If you spend those early years in your career, those middle, any point in your career, that, that next few steps forward, you spend those steps finding the sparks and following the sparks, and you just collect them as you go, I promise you, you will look back a, a few turns down the road and you'll look and you'll be like, holy crap, I got a pretty sweet little bonfire of leadership focus and leadership impact in front of me. So that's the other one that I, that I would share uh, on that question. I love it, man. Not only do I love bonfires, I love the analogy that you just shared. And you're right. Sometimes it's just a spark. Sometimes it's just the little bit of smoke or the, the smell of smoke. We need that. We need, we need to get that kindling going and appreciate the passion that exists for whatever it is that we're doing. And I think finding that bonfire is a lot of times the thing that we need most. What's your bonfire? I mean, obviously I know leadership and talent, but like, how did you get there? And, and, and yeah, define it for me. I mean, why is it and how did that become your, your bonfire? So I mentioned I was a philosophy degree at Berkeley. So you're going to get a philosophy kid's answer to this. I love it. I um, love it. At some point in those, I don't know when it clicked. I get it. We all get it. Causality is real. Most of what happens on the planet is, is, is because of what happened before. Like inertia and entropy are just such dominant forces. 99.99999, whatever percent of what will be is because of what happened. Causality. But the thing that hooked me as a, a young philosophy student was, yeah, but it's not all of it. 99.9999, whatever percent. <laughs> It's not 100%. And there are these moments where you can look and you can see what should have happened based on the inertia or the entropy of this thing didn't happen. It took a turn. And it took a turn for the better. I mean, there's, there's nothing that tells you that a powerless majority in India finds its voice, finds its power, and we end up with a freed India. I mean, you look at the civil rights movement in the U.S., you have a powerless minority. There's nothing in the inertia or the entropy of that setup that tells you this thing's going to go in the right direction. But it took the turn. Why? The only thing I could come down to on that as, I, as you spend time with it is that's the power of the human will. It's the, nope, this would be better. This is where we should go instead. And they stand up in the inertia in the entropy, and they say, here's how this should change, or here's how this should turn for the better. And then it happens through, and that's this thing called leadership, the harnessing of multiple people's wills. 
groups of humans' wills. And I, I mean that, like when I think about what is leadership, leadership is rallying people together to make productive change happen, to make things better, see a change, see a new, see a better, see a different, and then go rally people to join you in making that happen. Like, that's just hooked me. I just like the idea that things can and do change for the better and being a part of helping people figure out how to do that. Like, what else would you do with your time? <laughs> you <know>? It's special. <laughs> so yeah, I know, I mean, that's how it got special. me. It's special. I mean, look, you're, you're touching on something that's really fascinating and let's, let's peel back the onion as I like to say. So you're saying we got a chance, right? So even though the inertia may be telling you one thing and the momentum, which I talk a lot about momentum and the power of it, sheer will combined with leadership can actually move mountains, can actually make the kind of change you're talking about. If I'm understanding you correctly, that excites you and the possibilities of collective will through leadership and rallying those that have a, a common shared interest is a powerful concept. Am I understanding what really got you so excited about the leadership space? Yeah, I think so. This is kind of what I learned in the NBA. Like, what's a business? Business is a value generating entity. It's about creating value on the planet. That, that's what a business exists to do. I think all of that starts with defining what's valuable. What's value? If you don't have a clear picture of what's valuable, how can you create value? And, you know, I, I think that's the heart of leadership is it's that defining what's valuable and that valuable is the better or the new or the goal, the future state, the thing we're trying to go towards. I think a lot of stuff starts and ends with the leadership around it and the quality yeah. of that leadership. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and one of the things that impressed me when, you know, obviously first meeting you and getting to know you was the experience you had at McKesson. You spent over nine years there, which in today's day and age, I mean, you know, 50 years ago or even 30 years ago, people would spend 20, 30 years at a company and it was normal. Nowadays, if you're over there for more than five years, you're a seasoned veteran. So nine plus years at McKesson, you know, obviously a, a very well-established company that I'm sure you took a lot from and you were there for a, a long time. So what did you learn while there? Oh, a few things. I came out of the linkage experience and I came out of the USC experience steeped in theory, just the ideas of things. I mean, what is leadership? Why does it matter? Um, what does it look like? The, just the idea of things. What I really learned at McKesson was that the idea is not enough. To build something, to do something, the idea is about 10%. Then you get to the real work of how do you make that idea a reality through the people around you? How do you communicate it? Uh, how do you resource it? How do you organize? How do you just move and then keep movement going and then adjust along the way? It's safe to say that I think I really learned to work at McKesson. <laughs> yeah. it's that, well, it sounds to me like you put into practice what you had theorized and, and philosophized about in your academic and early career, which is, you know, you got an MBA, you got, you, you, you had a lot of time and energy and mental horsepower was spent thinking about the psychology and the theory behind leadership. And then you had this incredible opportunity to have a, a, a very significant role in building this, this linkage leadership platform where you got to interface and meet and work with world renowned leaders. 
And now in this new phase of your career, you're really actually putting into practice a lot of the principles that you had discovered yeah. in, your, in the early part of your career. Yeah, that sounds right. And, and, and there's another thing you're putting your finger on in that that's really important, which is, it, it, so it's that world-renowned leaders at Guild, and I got to work with some pretty world-class leaders at McKesson. And world-class and world-renowned are actually not one and the same. Most of the amazing leaders on this planet don't get the articles, don't get the podcasts. They, they're, they're, a lot of what they do that makes the big difference goes unseen. And McKesson made that real for me, was the work of leadership. It just got me past the brand of it and the story of it into the work of it. And there's a humility needed for that. And there's a resiliency needed for that. One of my mentors, bosses, one of those world-class leaders, I would argue, that I got to work with at McKesson was this guy, George Figueredo. And, and George would talk about make it real. Uh, whenever we would kind of be moving an idea forward, he'd be like, make it real for me, make it real. And that's what McKesson was when I think about my career development and my career journey. McKesson was a make it real moment. It just made all that stuff I'd been studying and talking about and hearing about made it very real in ways that were incredibly helpful. Well, what's funny is you, you tapped on something that I've actually thought a lot about as I'm doing this podcast and I've had a few interviews under my belt at this point, but what I realized and what dawned on me is of all the people that I've interviewed, very few, if any, have done podcasts before, yet they all have so much valuable information to share. And to your point, there's so many successful and as you said, world-class leaders that, that are out there that, you know, the people within their immediate sphere of influence and scope of work, they're going to learn from them. But that information kind of stops there. It doesn't go out further. There's not the articles, there's not the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the, the reasons that I've started this is to, is to change that because I, while I will interview the authors and the, the celebrities and those, those types of people, I'm looking forward to that. I'm very much also looking forward to interviewing people that maybe aren't in the, the kind of the spotlight as much as the, the, the folks that, you know, we hear from more commonly because they are, they are more of a, of a celebrity type of person. And so as you're sharing your story, I know the listener is thinking to themselves, well, what is and what does a world-class leader do? What are some of their qualities? And so let's dive in because I think we've teed this up enough and I'm sure people are chomping at the bit to, to really hear from, from someone like yourself who's had this just absolutely extraordinary career to, to learn and, and to grow and to be exposed to so many amazing, amazing leaders what are the similar traits that you've seen? What are some of those qualities that are common amongst them? There's a lot of great models out there that you would call leadership frameworks or definitions of leadership. If you want to be a great leader, I, my biggest advice, study them all. You're going to get kernels of goodness in all of that stuff. And they'll talk about communication and coaching and strategic thinking and driving execution. There's all, all of it's right. And all of it comes in and think about your leadership as a, like a, a toolbox and the more tools you can get and put in your box, the better and better you're going to be in the variety of circumstances and context your leadership will pull you into. But if I had to come up and over all of it and think about what are the three that I think have to be there or make the biggest difference, the three for me are first and foremost, courage. 
you have got to have a ton of courage to lead. Because again, it's about that new. It's about that better. It's about that different. And it takes some confidence to call it because that's not what's there. Others might not see it. Others won't see it. And you got to call it. This takes a ton of courage. And if you don't have that courage, you're not even going to get started. The second one is resiliency. You see that change. You've got the courage. You call it. You start moving towards it. Everything is going to get in your way or things will get in your way. Some things will come up behind you, but a lot's going to stand up in the way. And you got to have that resiliency to fight through, to move through, to pick yourself up when you take the hit. I remember I was leading this huge change initiative at McKesson. We were actually launching a leadership framework. We were trying to define, create a common definition. And in leading the change, we were just getting our asses kicked. It just like we were in trouble over here. This went sideways. It just felt like, oh, man, uh, do I suck at this? I think I might suck at this, uh, even though I've been studying it forever. And at the time, my brother had sucked me into this crazy thing on the side. He called me up and he said, hey, I'm signed up for this jujitsu tournament. Do you want to do this jujitsu tournament with me? And I was like, sure. And then I quickly realized after saying sure that I don't know how to jujitsu. I had never done this. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, so I started going to classes with him. So I could learn to jujitsu. And the guy that was teaching the class, I'm sitting in this class and he would also teach MMA. And so he's showing this move. Almost really show this move. And he's like, so if someone's punching you, and you kind of grab their arm and then you roll down like this and here. And as someone in the class raises their hand and he's like, Raul, like, if, but if you do that and you roll on the ground, how do you not? I feel like you'd scrape your elbow, your arm. How do you not get hurt? And then Raul goes, well, yeah, man. And then he stops and he goes, hey, wait, if you get into a fight, you're going to get scraped up. You're going to get hit. Getting hit doesn't mean you're losing. Getting hit means you're fighting. It's a big difference. And I flash back immediately to the I lead change thing. Getting hit doesn't mean you're losing. Getting hit means you're fighting. And if you got the courage to take on some new, some different, some something of, of leadership, you're going to get hit. You're going to take hits. That's okay. That doesn't mean you're losing. That means you're fighting. If you're not taking hits, I would take that as the better sign of, oh, wait a minute. Am I really fighting for anything? And then the third one that, that I just think is so darn important, you don't always see it there, but it's always a difference maker when it is, is humility. The output of great leadership is change. The key ingredient for that change to happen and for that change to be sustainable is followership. People have got to sign up to be in this with you. And if there isn't room for them, or if there isn't care and compassion for them, then they're not going to join. And if they do join, they're not going to stay. And so how do you have that humility to make what you're about bigger than yourself, to make room for others' leadership in there with you? Uh, courage, resiliency, and humility. Those are the three that, that are really high on my list. Wow. Uh, all I could say is wow. Unbelievable. I mean, you're really synthesizing in less than five minutes what, leadership, if somebody just took that alone and, and really truly embodied those traits, those characteristics, they'd be well on their way. And, and you talked about courage and part of courage is, is that confidence. And I think you bookend that with humility, right? Because 
confidence taken too far becomes arrogance, which we all know that no one wants to follow somebody who's arrogant. In fact, they want to get as far away from somebody that's arrogant, but people absolutely want to follow somebody that's confident because they know where they're going. And if you know where you're going, doesn't mean that you're not going to have roadblocks along the way. So you need to be resilient so that you can, to your point, fight your way through. And if you're not getting some bumps and bruises and scrapes along the way, you're probably not going the right direction and you're probably not fighting and you're probably not leading because somebody else got those bumps and bruises before you. So powerful, powerful message. I love it. And I'm not surprised that you were able to articulate it in such a masterful way. Somebody listening to this show is now thinking to themselves, I want to do what, what Andrew does. I want to work in talent development, leadership development. I want to help other people grow and enrich themselves. What advice would you have for that person? Huh? Go for it. First and foremost, yeah, go for it. It's worth it. It's an awesome place to play. And it's an awesome thing to be a part of others doing if you wanted to kind of click into the how, how would you get started? I'll give you the advice that Phil gave me when I was coming out of undergrad. If you want to learn to work, learn to sell. And so he put me on the phones, dialing for dollars. This stuff is real work and it takes the ability to influence and to organize and to move. And so in those early and career opportunities, Look for those opportunities to learn to influence. A sales job is phenomenal. Do I know how to communicate the value of something to someone else in a way that causes them to take action, to move? Any role you can get early on that is project management based or like carry operations, knowing how to build a plan and manage a plan and manage resources along in that plan. All of that's going to come into to fruition and to help. And so those early in career jobs in sales, in project management, and then just be a student of organization and of leadership. And just you'll build that expertise over time. And then you'll be able to exercise that expertise through this ability to organize things, move things and sell things to sell them into the space around you. That tends to be the skill set, the sweet spot that I watch as people carve their journey forward in this space successfully. It's the combination of those kinds of things. What makes it all happen and possible is the relationships you build along the way. Just be paying attention to the people around you and you will be blown away at what unlocks or gets co-created or how it moves here, here, or, or there. Like, yeah, work your ass off. Great advice. You're touching on a few key themes there. Uh, you're obviously your network is important. You never know who might be your next boss. Also, just because you want to get into the field of talent leadership development doesn't mean you go straight into it. You may need to get your feet wet in another realm, sales, project management, something that will allow you to take ownership of something. You you, you talked about the network and you talked about being a learner. You practice what you preach. You are a learner. When I met you, the thing that struck me was your knowledge and your in-depth knowledge in the space and the field that you that you are in. You know the, who the players are. You've studied them. And just to name a few, Josh Burson, Adam Grant, Marshall Goldsmith, these are some of the people that, that I know that you follow. 
and you look at their work, who are the people that you study and learn from the most? Who are some of those people? I mentioned a few, you know, I just nabbed those from your LinkedIn profile. Obviously there's a lot more, especially in the L and D space, the talent leadership development space. Who are those thought leaders that you're most tied into from a, you're influenced by their work? My first advice to folks would be breadth is your friend. Challenge yourself to not just run in a bubble, but in multiple bubbles and then just be moving around. So there's when you find yourself in a rut of the thought leadership around you, shake it up, do something random, move things. And so some of the stuff that I've been loving lately is I've been listening to a lot of brain and neuroscience work and a lot of the leadership and organization or team effectiveness stuff from the past, from the world I grew up in, was anecdotal, uh, possibly empirical, but it wasn't really ba- like there is truth to it as I look back, but we couldn't explain why it was true. We could just point at, listen, we've studied thousands of people. We know this to be true kind of thing. And with the neuroscience, with the psychology, all of a sudden we can start to explain why. Here's what's happening in the chemicals of your brain. Here's what's happening in the chemicals of the brain of those that you're trying to influence, rally together, keep together. And here's why what you're doing is making it worse, not better. Or here's why that thing you did that did make it better actually made it better. Or here's why that thing that worked in that one circumstance doesn't work anymore in this circumstance. And so some of my favorites that are kind of out there and available in pop world, David Rock does some amazing work uh, in neuroscience. He wrote Your Brain at Work. The Hidden Brain is a podcast you can get anywhere uh, that just has just phenomenal stories. One of my favorites is Invisibilia. Uh, It's an NPR podcast where they talk about the unseen forces that shape our lives. uh, And they do a really good job of, of unpacking some of this stuff. If you're asking about some old classics that I just think if you want to be a great leader, start here. Uh, I'm going to put a plug in for Warren Bennis and for on becoming a leader. If you want to really understand the heart of leadership and the way I understand it, uh, it, read that book on becoming a leader. It it just cuts to, I think, the heart of what it takes and what it means and why it matters. That's a few. I am smiling ear to ear because I, I don't know if you know this or not, but one of the primary catalysts for this program, in particular, the name of this program and Inside Out is David Rock and his incredible work in the realm of insights. And, you know, it's funny, as you were talking, what I wrote down is we knew the what, we're finding out the why. And to your point, the why is the science behind the brain chemistry that we're learning more and more about, about how and when we have insights. And, and, And for those that listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I talk about the work that David Rock's done relative to the prefrontal cortex and the decision-making conscious part of our brain immediately behind our forehead, which is frankly the overworked part of our brain. It's the part of our brain that wants us to get a little bit more quiet time so that we can reflect, so that we could think. It's the part of our brain that wants us to take a shower so that we're not thinking about the million things we need to do at work. It wants us to take a walk so that perhaps we can have an insight that day. It wants us to go to the bathroom, you know, something that's going to kind of clear our mind because, you know, David Rock talks about 
the brain, when you look at it from an, if you were to equate it to an economic sense, you know, the prefrontal cortex is the change in your pocket. The rest of your brain is the entire U.S. economy. And as you know, your brain at work is just a phenomenally important piece of work as it relates to how we can maximize ourselves and give ourselves more opportunity to have breakthrough moments. So you're, you're touching on something that is very, very important to me and something that really is a, a major, honestly, reason why I feel this show is important because I think all too often we don't know why we do what we do but we have the science now is really showing us. So I think that's um, fantastic that, you know, you cited those, those people in particular, David Rock. Thank you. Yeah. So I've got three young sons, 10, eight and six or almost six at this point. At one point, I think it was after my first was born Abraham. And I sat down and I thought through like, if I, like, what do I teach this kid? My whole career, my whole job is, is helping people, develop and learn. I care about this little thing more than anyone else on the planet right now. Like, what do I want him to learn? And I just tested myself. If I could only teach him three things, what would I teach? And the three things that I came down to, Billy, number one is self-awareness. Know yourself. If there's one thing I could get this kid, self-awareness, I think is the heart of it. Number two is contextual awareness understanding the forces around you, knowing what causes what and why in the world around you. And that's where that, that your brain at work is. If, if you, that book will fundamentally change your understanding of the forces that, that are at work around you. And then number three, and I think this one's probably the most important, and it's self-control. Self-awareness is knowing yourself, what drives you, what doesn't drive you, what turns you on, what turns you off, all of that. Contextual awareness, you get how the world works around you. Self-control, that's the ability to make yourself do something you don't want to do or stop yourself from doing something you do want to do. If you've got those three things, self-awareness, contextual awareness, and self-control, the world is yours. If you lack any one of those, you're going to have all sorts of goofiness, uh, and that's <laughs> when things start to go wrong, right? So anything, in turn, as you think about your thought leadership, as you think about, like, building your capability beyond your thinking, like really the muscle, the habits, everything, the skills in you. Those are the three things you're trying to really balance out. Let me dive in on the self-awareness piece. And I agree with all of your points. The self-awareness is something that's near and dear to me because fundamentally, I think there is no better trait that a a human being can have than to have the awareness of oneself. It's easy to say it's important. It's a whole nother thing to have self-awareness. What advice would you give somebody who at least has enough self-awareness to know they're not as, as self-aware as they should be? I was literally just thinking in my head that if there isn't some small or large part of yourself that feels hypocritical talking about self-awareness, you are definitely not self-aware. <laughs> because Oh my gosh, the number of times I bump into myself unpleasantly and surprisingly is embarrassing. I think self-awareness is a journey. And I think of that for, there's two reasons for that. Number one is you are incredibly complex. We all are. And there's a lifetime of getting to know yourself, just like there's a lifetime of getting to know your partner. People are complex. The other reason is that we're dynamic. We change. Like who I think I am 
is in some not small part based on who who I found myself to be at 25 or at 16 or at eight. And that's not true anymore. But I haven't let that go. I haven't updated the software in my self-awareness to align with the hardware of what's actually going on in me and around me. And so it's constant. Just know that. That's the first thing I would say on a self-awareness is that there is no getting there. There is only paying attention to it or not paying attention to it along the way. And then in terms of how you pay attention to it, having people in your life that will tell you that you have lettuce in your teeth or that that thing you did was pretty phenomenal or that, oh my gosh, that thing you did really hurt me or hurt others, the other person. If you don't have those feedback loops, you don't stand a snowball's chance in hell of getting to self-aware and staying anywhere near self-aware. Like most things, it is about the journey. And like most things, we evolve and things evolve. And to your point, if you can have the people in your life act as a feedback mechanism, you're a lot closer to maintaining a level of self-awareness that is probably greater than, than those that don't have that luxury. Because if you have people that aren't afraid to tell you those things, you're going to learn a lot about yourself that you may not be, you don't have the perspective or the ability to, to look at yourself from another person's perspective. You just don't because you are yourself. To the extent that you want to be interpersonally effective and therefore self-aware of your interpersonal dynamics, strengths, weaknesses, nuances, quirks, without feedback loops from others, it's impossible. You can't because your interpersonal effectiveness is not inside you. You can't see it. It it, it lives in that space between you and others. And so if others aren't helping you see that space between you and them through good, honest, open feedback, you will not be able to see it. You got to, but, but I love the line. I don't know. I, I, this might be mine. I might be quoting myself or I might be quoting someone much smarter than me, but, (laughs) but the line is you get the feedback you deserve. And there's a negative side to this, where if you're an asshole and people tell you an asshole, you deserved it. But the other side of you get the feedback you deserve it. If you're the type of person that's hard to give feedback to people aren't going to give it to you. Make yourself easy, make it rewarding to give you feedback and you will get it. You got to deserve it though. And so you get the feedback you deserve. I'm just kind of chuckling to myself because I'm thinking about all of my very close friends because those are the ones that aren't afraid to give you the real feedback, the honest feedback. And I'm just laughing at what they've told me through the years, which frankly is is comical because I know just how flawed I am as a human being. I just, I, I know those things about myself. And honestly, I know them mainly because I'm hearing it from people that are closest to me. So Andrew, we're going to, in a minute, get into the lightning round. Before we do, I have a few, que- a few more questions just about some of the experiences in your life that have, that have helped propel you. And the first one is about challenges. You know, we have failures, we have challenges. What stands out as a challenge or even a failure that had a monumental influence on your life? I think about last year, Billy. Uh, I think the time with Tesla was ripe with what is happening (laughs) lessons. I think there's a lot that I look back on in that that I'm proud of, that I learned from and I thought was great. And then there's a lot where I go, oh, man, we didn't get it. We didn't get there. Things started to break on us. Why? 
And I'm still unpacking all the lessons from that one. I think the lesson for me is when I was at McKesson, I was at McKesson for nine years, as you mentioned, and I was Andrew at that company. I had all these relationships. I had all this insight of the place. I knew how it worked. I knew where things were. I knew how to make things happen. And when I left the comfort of the comfortable, the comfort of the known, it's, I took for granted that I could do things the same way, but you can't. When you find yourself in a new context, I wasn't Andrew. I was nothing, nobody, one other person, one other place. And it's that, how, how do you find your voice in the new? I'm going to take you back to that humility thing we talked about before. It, it was a different type of humility needed. I, I wouldn't call myself prideful in that situation, but I was taking things for granted that I didn't know I was taking for granted. It was, a, it, was a, it was an unconscious pridefulness. I needed to be more humble in the amount of outreach and connection and including that I should have been doing as a leader with the people around me, my peers, the leadership structure around me. So I think the advice for others, the lesson I took from it, when you venture into something new, a new network, a new place, do it. It's totally worth it. You like, don't slow yourself down from jumping into the uncomfortable, but when you do it, like be like very consciously humble about building those relationships, connecting with people, connecting people to what you're trying to do, and then reconnecting, reconnecting, reconnecting. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a big kind of moment of like, just challenging my, my sense of self and my willingness to put myself out there as opposed to taking for granted. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I'm still, I think I'm still unpacking it. Well, it's, sometimes it takes time. And, and I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. And, and to be super honest, I, I don't feel too, that's not too dissimilar of a feeling that I have. Cause even though I was there when you got there, I didn't join that long before you. And I also feel like I left with unfinished work. So I think it takes time to unpack. I think it starts with having the humility and, and ability to reflect and, and think about it and, and look, think about it from multiple angles. And um, it, it's, it's interesting to discover things about ourselves after the fact, because when you're immersed in it, you, you don't see those things. You have blind spots. You are, you are, you're just so in the, in the middle of it that it's difficult for you to, in a way that you can after the fact. So, but I, I appreciate you sharing that one more question before we get into the lightning round, what are some habits or rituals that you practice on a regular basis? I'm a big CrossFitter. Here's the quick version of how nerdy I am about this kind of stuff. So first and foremost, I believe that the, you are physical, rational, relational, emotional, and spiritual. I think those are the five dimensions of the self. Physical, rational, relational, emotional, and spiritual. Like, and I think in terms of considering your own health, you should have disciplines in all five of those in your life. We get this in the physical part of ourselves. When my diet starts to veer, I know I can feel it. I know it. When I'm not exercising, I can feel it. I know it. I think the same is true for your relational, for your rational, for your spiritual, and for your emotional selves. 
And so I, what I've tried to write into my life is a whole range of spiritual disciplines, relational disciplines, rational disciplines, and they look like diet and exercise. On a weekly basis, I will uh, have a certain amount of kind of relational disciplines with, with the people around me, things like that. And then I'm constantly tinkering with it. So one of the most productive, I, I would argue, kind of disciplines that I have had over the last decade is I have a group of friends, a group is a group of guys that I meet with on a weekly basis. And this is exactly the question that we ask ourselves. Hey, what are you working on? What are the disciplines that you've got in front of you this week? How are they going? And it's kind of that accountability check-in. And then are they still the right stuff? Are you working on the right stuff? And we're able to keep each other accountable for having that program in place. So I love the spirit of the question. I'm not giving you a very helpful answer to it other than to say living with that question is, I think, one of the secrets in life. Learning how to be a person of discipline and then make sure you code those disciplines in your life, not just to one part of you, but to the whole of you, physical, rational, relational, spiritual and emotional. Yeah, it can't be one dimensional. And I think there's probably a lot of listeners who are disciplined in some areas, but not disciplined in all areas. So, and that, and that's okay. That's just something you need to work on. But, you know, as we discover more about ourselves, be honest and say, this is an area that I need to work on. Is that your, what part of yourself needs the love? You work with what you got and you move from where you are. That's it. You got no choice. Absolutely. And with that, let's, let's get into the lightning round. This is a series of questions. They're going to be quick hitting sort of emotional, situational questions where you just give me your first gut reaction. What excites you? Change, productive change and learning. Those are the two. Love it. What scares you? Something happening to my kids. Most of my fears are about my kids. What surprises you? Other humans. You want to know what surprises me is the dark side of humanity. Uh, I, uh, I'm surprised by when things turn for the dark. I, I, I just wish that shit wasn't there. Ugh, you and me both. All right. I'm sure you've recommended a lot of books. What book have you recommended more than any other book? Oh, it might be Harry Potter. <laughs> I love it. Okay. That or the power of one. Okay. Another good one. If you could spend one hour with anyone living or dead, who would it be and why? Jesus. Oh, great answer. If you had the chance, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Work harder. Wow. Okay. Do you have any regrets in life? If so, what are they? I think it's tied to that last one. Like when I look at the times in my life where I coasted or I didn't go for it, I regret that. Go for it. Put in the work, take the risk, go like stop coasting or stop being risk averse. Those are the regrets I have as I look back. Yeah, no, for sure. Who is or who are your greatest mentors and what did you learn from them? Uh, I've mentioned a couple of them along the way here. Uh, Warren Bennis was an unbelievable mentor, passed away a couple of years ago, and I learned too much to rattle off here. The thing about Warren that he's helped countless people on the planet with is just that coaching and counseling, find your voice, be the author of your own life. And he, he would talk about Author and authority have the same root word. So take up the pen. <laughs> I love that. That's a good one. So you have a lot of achievements in your life. What achievement are you most proud of? I'm hoping it's going to be those boys and who I've been as a father. Uh, but to be determined, that's what I'm working on. <laughs> good. Well, last question. We've learned a lot about you, Andrew. What may surprise the listeners about you? I think if you could spend a day in my head, the inner critic would surprise you. 
I got a loud coach or critic on one of my shoulders that's uh, that's constantly just beating me up. I think we all do to a certain extent. At least that's what I tell myself when I'm trying to calm that inner critic. But is that a self-critic or critic of, of others? Self-critic beating me up Got it. Uh, Got it. and just like, oh, why'd you say it that way? Why'd you do that? Like, I, I'm sure I will end this uh, podcast. We'll, we'll finish this time and I'll beat myself up for the next 45 minutes. And then I'll dust myself off and keep moving. Don't get me wrong. But that inner critic's there, I think. Uh, and I think most of life is, or a lot of life is learning how to live with, with, him, with him or her, whoever you've got. Well, I can tell you right now, you have nothing to worry about. It's been absolutely extraordinary having this conversation and getting a peek behind your life and your look inside your brain. And I can't thank you enough. Andrew Wilhelms, uh, really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being on Inside Out. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. Ah, ah.